From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today we dive into standards-based reform and the varying ways teachers, principals, and districts view accountability, authority, and policy implementation. When we ask principals, are you rewarded or punished for student achievement measures? They say, eh, not really. But you ask teachers and they say, yes, of course. So we see that gap consistently across every state. We welcome University of Pennsylvania PhD candidate, Adam Kirk Edgerton, who recently led a multi-state study examining those different perspectives and the relationship to state policy environments and classroom instruction. Edgerton joins CPRI director Jonathan Sapovitz to discuss his findings and their potential implications for policy, practice, and future research. For as long as I've been alive, that's been the predominant concern of standards-based reform. Can we actually have teachers shift their behaviors using these different incentives? And there seems to be a, a mounting pile of evidence that we haven't solved that kind of essential problem. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Jonathan Sapovitz, Director of CPRI at the University of Pennsylvania's Graduate School of Education. Today I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with one of our own graduate students who is soon to be on the professional track, Adam Kirk Edgerton. Thanks for joining us today, Adam. Thanks for having me, John. Today, we're going to talk about a study that you co-authored with Laura Desimone of the University of Delaware titled, Mind the Gaps, Differences in How Teachers, Principals, and Districts Experience College and Career Readiness Policies. And this just is hot off the press. It just came out in this month, August 2019, in the American Journal of Education. And it looks at standards-based reform implementation by contrasting the attitudes of various stakeholders about the standards reform efforts. So start off, just give us some context. What was intriguing to you about looking at the contrast between different education professionals at different levels and their views of standards? Well, I mean, like a lot of people who study education policy, I began as a teacher and didn't really understand education policy or or what it was or what was being made at which level of decision making. And so I was really fascinated by the opportunity to look at three different groups of people who are in charge of children's education. And to be able to do that simultaneously, I think was really uh, unique because I think it allows us to step back from our own individual experiences in the classroom or as a principal running a school and see what are the commonalities across how people experience policies related to standards. So the data that you had gave you the opportunity to take a distinctive perspective on the differing perspectives of different stakeholders. So just give us a little background on the data system that you had that allowed you to look at these things. So first of all, we had funding from the Institute of Education Sciences through the Department of Education, which uh, without which none of this would be possible. And that allowed us to survey these three groups in three states, Texas, Ohio, and Kentucky. We developed the survey as part of the process, and then we're able to administer it through the American Institutes of Research. So that involved a lot of follow-up surveys and phone calls 
and emails to make sure that we had people actually answering the survey. And as you know, it can be very difficult these days to get a good survey response rate. So we were lucky to have all of those resources available to create this data set. So let's talk a little bit about these states, Texas, Ohio, Kentucky. Just give us a little lay of the land of how the policy environments are different in these three states. In terms of standards policy, they have, they're quite different. Texas, for example, never adopted the Common Core state standards, and they began the process of adopting what they consider their college and career readiness standards uh, in 2009, whereas Kentucky and Ohio adopted the Common Core state standards and then repealed them. So they had a lot more political instability than Texas, and their legislatures switched control during you know, the 2010s from uh, Democratic to Republican. And so they're quite different in terms of the policies that they pass and their relationship to standards. I think uh, as some of your research has shown, Common Core became very politically toxic in some parts of the country. And I think what's interesting in contrasting these states is that Texas, because they never adopted them, I think may have been able to avoid some of the blowback related to standards. And just for contextual purposes, the data that you collected were in what time frame? We collected these in spring 2016. So that's right after the passage of the Every Student Succeeds Act, which was the reauthorization of No Child Left Behind. The Common Core was at what stage at that time point? So at that time, it had been about six years since they were introduced. Uh, and Race to the Top encouraged a lot of states to adopt the Common Core state standards. And Ohio and Kentucky were both recipients of Race to the Top? Eventually, not necessarily in the in the first round, but they both adopted the Common Core. So the way that it raised the top worked is that even if they didn't actually win the money, they pretty much had to go through their state legislature to pass the policy to get the money. It was highly effective at kind of, as you know, encouraging that. So Adam, one of the things that the study and the data that you collected really allowed you to do distinctively is to look both across states and across roles. Mm -hmm. So you have Ohio, Kentucky, and Texas, and we have principals and teachers and district administrators. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you discovered that were either surprising to you or just reinforced views that you had seen in other work? I think it was surprising to me to find that teachers in Texas felt that they had significantly more specific guidance than teachers in Ohio and Kentucky. So when we asked those teachers, does your district tell you the order in which you should teach content? Do they provide uh, a scope and sequence or a textbook that helps you do that? Texas teachers on average are significantly higher uh, on the four-point scale with one being strongly disagree and four being strongly agree. They're at a 3.14. So that's closer to strongly agree, whereas Ohio is down at 2.3. So that's almost a whole scale drop in terms of the guidance they receive. And if we think about what's different about Texas, I always go back to, well, they've kind of been doing their own thing. Instead of following these federal guidelines and trying to align their interests with different initiatives, they've been very independent. And maybe that has helped them kind of build capacity over time. And But obviously, that's me speculating. But there is research out there looking at what is different about the Texas policy structure. And we find that a lot of across a lot of our research. And Texas also started earlier than the other states with this right. standards reform. So might that account for teachers' differing responses? 
Yeah. And I think they also did not repeal a test, right? So I think that repealing a test is kind of one of the most common complaints that we see among teachers when we interview them and we survey them, that it it kind of disrupts their curriculum, it disrupts their scope and sequence, their plans for the year, uh, if the state is is constantly changing the end of course test. Mm-hmm. So Texas has avoided all of that. Now, I mean, I can't link those things causally, but it makes sense uh, looking at these correlational findings to try and explain why Texas is significantly higher. So one of the things that's really interesting about your study is, is as you just referred to, you have very different policy contexts. Mm-hmm. And what did you find were surprisingly similar across those contexts or really different across the context? So you just pointed out one thing that was different about Texas. How were teachers' responses in general across the context? So in general, they were different from state to state, but not as different as I expected them to be based mm-hmm. on the policies. There were no significant differences when asking about accountability, which also surprised me because those states have very different approaches to how they hold teachers accountable for student achievement. But that didn't show up in the surveys. So that tells me, if I reflect on my own time as a teacher, like I may not really be aware of these fine-grained policies that are happening in the State Department of Education. I just feel the pressure to perform. And that seems pretty uniform across all of these states. So taking the lead from the title of your paper, which is Mind the Gaps, one of the things that you were looking at was differences between teacher perspectives and principal perspectives or between principal perspectives and district leader perspectives. So what did you discover about the gaps? I think that the gaps were mostly when we asked teachers about whether they believed in the standards as being appropriate, flexible, and rigorous. And again, those accountability questions. Now, is, is that within teachers or is that between teachers' views and principals' views? Between or? teachers' views and principals' okay. views. Okay. So when we ask principals, are you rewarded or punished for student achievement measures? They say, eh, not really. You know? But you ask teachers and they say, yes, of course. So we see that gap consistently across every state if you look at these survey results. Hmm. So it was really interesting that you found that teachers felt much more held accountable for their performance of their students to meet the standards than their very principals did. So what do you think accounts for teachers feeling more under the gun than their principals feel? Well, I can only speculate, right? I mean, this is way beyond what we asked in the surveys. But, you know, I think that the effects of No Child Left Behind you know, maybe generational. And the fact that we have created a regime of testing, and now we have a rhetoric of local control, we have the Every Student Succeeds Act, which ostensibly is saying, you know, we're not using the same accountability style, Um, we're going to be more responsive, we're going to use multiple measures. You know, I think that, like a lot of institutions in this country, um, teachers remain distrustful. So even if we say, we are not using, you know, proficiency score cutoffs, so we're not going to hold you accountable for A to F or port card grades, and we're not going to use value-added scores to decide whether you're hired or fired. You know, the tests are still there, and the atmosphere, I think, takes a much longer time to change than merely passing one federal or one state law. So the culminating analysis in your paper was to look at the varying gaps in teacher perspectives and principal perspectives, and I guess in the gaps between the other different interest groups. But let's focus on teacher and principal for now. 
and to say the gaps might be wider or they might be narrower. In other words, teachers might feel similarly to principals or they might feel really different than principals. And then you were trying to say, what predicts the size of that gap? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, the theory behind standards is that teachers are teaching them, right? And so we ask teachers what they are teaching on these surveys. And we have items that they don't know about. They don't know what's the correct answer that are associated with their older state standards and what's associated with their newer state standards. And so maybe someone could argue, yeah, teachers should feel the most accountability. They're the most responsible. They have to go in there every day and teach the standards. And principals, you know, they're a coach or maybe an evaluator, but that's not their responsibility. So we looked at, does that gap, that accountability gap, predict more coverage of the standards? And we found that it doesn't. So to me, that's very discouraging in terms of the amount of political capital and the amount of hours it takes to properly implement these policies if we aren't seeing teachers actually change their instruction. And that's been, for as long as I've been alive, that's been the predominant concern of standards-based reform. Can we actually have teachers shift their behaviors using these different incentives? Um, and, and there seems to be a, a mounting pile of evidence across a lot of different studies and using different methodologies that um, we haven't solved that kind of essential problem. Through this deep dive at looking at how on the ground standards are playing out in the way people view their roles through these policy attributes, what do you come away thinking about the degree of influence that the standards reform movement is having in classrooms and in schools and in districts? Well, I think if you look at the averages across all of the attributes in the paper, none of them are particularly low. And when we, we've also done a lot of interviews, case studies, site visits at different schools around the country. And, you know, the, the institutional logic of standards isn't going anywhere. Like we can change policies or make adjustments, but the idea that there's a set of standards, I have to teach them, I'm going to be tested on them, it seems hard to imagine, like, that's all going to go away one day, right? Like, how are we going to have standard-less education? So I think looking across these findings, that it's like a lot of educational interventions where there's a lot of promise and a lot of optimism. And then when you, you know, look 10, 20 years down the line, doesn't kind of get at the larger structural resource issues. So I think this paper is kind of another example of that. And hopefully, provides lines for future research to look and see, you know, maybe there are states or districts that are doing this particularly well. But when we look at it at scale, you know, we're still not seeing the kind of movement that we would want to see. Are the timeframes of policymakers realistic? No. I think if you look at the superintendent responses in the paper, for example, you know, a superintendent on average is there three to four years. And if you look at their answers, they have these really super positive responses to these survey questions that are significantly higher than teachers and principals. So I think we have a lot of policy churn at the top and things that make logical sense or that seem easy to implement are much more complicated on the ground realities. And, and there continues to be this communication gap and disconnect, I think, between these three groups. So one of the occupational hazards of our work is that the things that we're talking about today, we did a little ways in the past. So what are you working on today that's building upon this piece that just came out? 
So we are doing another round of surveys, um, and we're adding California and Massachusetts to the survey collection. We also have done interviews with state education officials, officials at educational service centers who are providing the professional development that ostensibly should help teachers teach these standards. And we are going into classrooms as well. So we are taking an all of the above approach to really flesh out these findings. And I think what we'll end up with is, is a book actually that kind of examines and uses different methods to look at all the different facets of standards-based implementation and where that is, you know, many years after the Common Core. So I'm looking forward to the time when you'll come back and you'll share more information about the work that you're doing today. Adam Kirk Edgerton, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, John. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes of this podcast, or to subscribe to the series, visit us at cprehub.org. That's C-P-R-E-Hub.org. To share thoughts on today's episode, or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRIHub.